everybody and welcome to the Happy Gals podcast. I hope you're having a lovely day wherever you are and just a shout out there are still Black Lives Matter protests going on and there are still many 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 petitions that you can sign, you can write to your MP, keep doing the research, keep doing the work, keep doing the reading. Um, it's particularly essential at this time that we don't just let it fade out. And in terms of today's podcast our guest is Annie Wade-Smith Annie is an Instagram influencer with a background in curve modeling, uh, but she's also a mental health worker, um, dealing especially with young women who self-harm and have experienced sexual exploitation. So I just want to put a trigger warning on the whole podcast now. Um, We're going to be dealing with that mostly in question three. So if you want to listen to the rest, you can also choose to skip over that one question. Um, but if you do feel comfortable listening to it, I can guarantee you Annie is a great source of information. You can just tell um, how much work she's done on the subject, how much research she's still doing, and she has some great tips and some great insight into um, the entire situation. So thank you, Annie, so much for being here today with us. Hi. So yeah, my name is Annie, and I am a mental health youth worker I work with young people that self-harm and that have experienced child sexual exploitation so that includes abuse and sexual assault um, involvement in gangs um, and I do that for a charity called the wish center and then I'm also a curve model and influencer and yeah I try to use my platform to um, amplify other voices Annie, first of all, to start off, can I ask you how you went about building a career based both on modeling and on mental health counseling? So it's kind of just how like my life and my hobbies came together. Um, I started doing volunteering with like different community groups from quite young. Um, I went up through brownies and guides and was like a brownie leader. And then um, I volunteered for a rape and sexual assault counselling centre when I was in sixth form. Um, I then did some other like community projects. Um, and I was just always passionate about working with people. I did my degree in psychology. Um, I realised that maybe academia wasn't best for me, but um, I pulled through. And then I started working for a small mental health charity um and I was able to like use my creative skills so I started doing like um well-being projects with younger children um like different therapeutic art sessions um with adults and with teenagers like drama sessions so I was able to like mix everything together and then modeling um <clears throat> I did that from maybe like 19 um someone just asked me to do a shoot randomly and I was like oh like me (laughs) really um and the response I got from the images like people messaging me like I'd made them feel really confident about themselves or they really liked seeing someone with a different kind of body to the usual body type online Um, and it kind of just went from there I was like right well if posting a picture makes even one person feel good about themselves then I'll do it um and it's kind of just grown from there yeah so it kind of works hand in hand 
um, the body confidence stuff comes back into my job because we'll talk about confidence, we'll talk about body image, we'll talk about empowerment over your body. So yeah, all mixes together quite well. And obviously uh, modelling then raises a platform and then you can use the platform to um, talk about issues. Um, it's just like a cycle almost. Do you reckon that like working with a body that is outside the standards of beauty quote unquote um did, you, did it ever cause you to not be taken seriously as a professional um with modeling i mean yeah obviously there's certain brands that are secretly because they know they can't do it now secretly fat phobic there's um certainly photographers who like mainly male photographers as well who will only shoot a certain type of model Whereas for me, they'd make me pay for a session um, and others would be like collaborations and they'd never post the images on the page. I've worked with other photographers where I've known we've I've made some beautiful images together and still I don't see any images that look like me on their pages. So I'm like, right, oh, so you only want to post a certain body type. Cool, no worries. Um, so that happens, which I mean, I'm at this point, I'm not surprised about. But in the professional world, I wouldn't say my body type has ever, I've never felt people, I mean, colleagues who are just nasty. Yeah, but not like in a professional sense, because um, as well in my sector, most people are, you know, mums and stuff like that. Um, I'm very, I'm a lot younger than a lot of people in the charity sector so actually one thing that I have found in terms of discrimination was always against my age not being taken seriously because uh, I um, got my job at 22 um, and I was sitting on tables with counsellors uh, as in people working for the council I was sitting on the table with like cams therapists and you know people who were you know had been in the sector for quite some time but what I brought to the table was that I was still a young person and I was more in touch with what young people needed and wanted and so I had to really learn the confidence to just be assertive and be like excuse me have you asked any young people about that because that idea sounds rubbish um I didn't say that obviously but um and as well you know I kind of I'm quite pleased with myself that I when I was entering the working world after university I made an active decision not to wear makeup um I battled with wanting to wear makeup for like wanting to go barefaced but thinking I was uh, ugly or like that I couldn't be taken seriously without makeup and um I was just so pleased that I didn't wear makeup from day one because then people couldn't tell me I looked ill or I looked tired when I then decided to stop um but I did find that that not wearing makeup sometimes made me feel like people weren't taking me as seriously the idea that makeup makes you more professional is absolutely ridiculous and it's so sexist as well um and also without makeup I do have a baby face so it would add to that oh who who's this young person like why is she here? I would get asked if I was a volunteer. I would get asked if I was at college. And I'd just be like, hon, I'm here with the same criteria as you. Check my CV. Thank you. 
Um, so yeah, you've got to really like push through and, and be confident in your skills and like F what anyone else thinks about that. I think you're making some really, really good points. And I think what's interesting is all the microaggressions that you sort of brought up, like from not not charging other models for photo shoots, but charging you. And these photos somehow actually never making it to the front page, especially right now that there is a bigger awareness of these kind of discriminations. I think um, many brands are, are finding more insidious ways I know that in your Instagram, you've mentioned in the past that another invisible um, diversity that you struggle with is your sexuality, because you've had people um, assume that you're straight when actually you're queer. I'd just like to ask you to talk a little bit about this kind of juxtaposition between, you know, the, the visible and invisible privilege. Okay. So um, I'm just sort of interested in hearing your experience. Uh, dealing with all these layers and especially in the professional field so <clears throat> yeah um i identify as queer or pansexual um but i look very uh, in inverted commas straight um and um i'm a cisgendered woman so like i have a lot of privilege in that I am not afraid to dress how I'd like um, and express myself how I'd like. And to be honest, I'm like, it's like a, it's like this secret little thing. You know, you don't have your sexuality on your forehead. Um, and if you are, yeah, if you are like privileged to just be like passing. Um, so because I look like, the gender I was assigned to at birth, uh, you know, it, it it means that no one's going to question that. But in terms of my sexuality, it's more like this, like, secret I'm sitting on. Um, and it, it, me, it has meant that in some professional situations, I've had to put my hand up and say, look, I'm answering this as a queer person. Can you sort of take that into consideration? But up until that point, they just assume that I am straight. Um, so yeah I don't know there's pros and cons to that I, I would rather them know and they just leave me to it but um, the working world you can't go out screaming your sexuality because you've also got to be quite private um, I've, I've added like a rainbow badge to my uh, lanyard because I want young people who are questioning their sexuality to know that like I'm a safe space that badge doesn't say that I'm that I am queer that badge doesn't say anything all it says is I accept anyone um who is LGBTQ plus and I think for a young person to know that that the wish center is a safe space is so important um because we get a lot of young people who are concerned about their sexuality or um thinking about transitioning so yeah I know I've just rambled for quite some time on that but there was a lot to cover Oh, please do feel free to rumble as much as you want. Uh, this is all valuable information. It's so far from rumbling. Do not worry about that. And actually, thank you uh, for sharing your experience in those departments. Um, and I think actually that the rainbow thing is extremely sweet. So, um, no, kudos for that. As somebody who is also LGBT, um, 
I've been definitely seeing something like that in an environment, environment like a hospital or a mental health center where I'm not sure about the other person's views on the subject. I think that would majorly help me feel at ease as well. So actually moving on into, you know, your mental health work, um, what are some of the maybe not so obvious physical and mental traumas that you've dealt with? And do you have any advice for people that are struggling with it? Um, you know, I think we definitely, definitely need to raise more awareness on the effects that trauma can have because so often we underestimate it and we sort of, um, blame people for reacting in ways that are different from what we used to think trauma does to you. Um, so no, I think because you're someone that actively works with it, what's sort of been your experience and what's your advice for anybody going through something like that? Yes, so um, trauma, like I'm learning so much more about it, like every single week I will learn more and more about trauma and what it is and the effects of it, Um, but it can have, diff- it can express in different ways, Um, so if someone's experienced a lot of sexual abuse, for example, they might um find it hard to say no in other circumstances so for example whatever you suggest to them they say yeah okay um and that could it could be anything that's not necessarily um in sexual situations um they might struggle around consent um and saying no in that that's that regard as well um and feeling like they have the, the power to say no um or the right um or that they're worthy enough to say no um trauma can manifest in anxiety it can manifest in headaches um uh, basically so it can there's the amygdala which is like the fear response in the brain and when you've experienced trauma the amygdala doesn't doesn't like calm down so our amygdala is meant to chill basically and then when it's a fear situation it will do fight or flight whereas um when someone's experienced a lot of trauma the amygdala just keeps going and imagine it just like flashing um so you a lot of the time in that fear heightened response um which can make if you imagine constantly being feeling fearful or feeling like you need to fight or flight, it would make you scatty, it might make you flaky, it might make you um, find it hard to concentrate, find it hard to make decisions. There is honestly so much that goes into the trauma, that is a part of trauma and the trauma model. Um, it might make you freeze um, in certain situations um, and you can also experience vicarious trauma. So when I'm working with some clients sometimes their trauma can come into my body so I've been learning some different techniques to get it back out um trauma is something that's just like not understood and it's only been through like this role and like going on specific training around trauma um that I've started to learn more about it so it definitely needs to be understood widely especially with people who are social workers or teachers because you hear some of the most triggering things sometimes and you need to know how to let it out um 
I'll just give a few examples for anyone that's listening and thinks, oh, like, I'd quite like to know how to release some trauma. Um, so these are not the if you have personal trauma like deep deep trauma this is probably not going to do much this is more for vicarious trauma or like low level um and i would absolutely 170 percent recommend that you um get some psychotherapy to you know um safely go through that um trauma process especially um open-ended therapy so that you've got time because six six or eight sessions won't be enough to may not be enough let me say to open up and then go through that um so a few little trauma tips that I've learned recently um there's one that's like um a shower of light so if you close your eyes and imagine that there is a shower of like little beams of light above you and you just let them like literally let them fall onto you and go over you all your body over your head your shoulders the rest of your body and you just let them cleanse cleanse out any sort of feel negative feelings or feelings of trauma um being really self-aware of your body as well like where are you holding trauma like it's good to do a body scan so all of these things you can google there's loads of resources on them um just stretching your body um yoga pilates really good for the physical effects of trauma um um there's another one where if you are talking to somebody that you know has is is going to offload basically you can put, form a little imaginary concertina between you two you know like a accordion kind of thing um and that's a way of still connecting to them but keeping a safe barrier between them it's all about energy and it can sound a little bit like hippie-ish but actually this stuff works and uh, psychotherapists that have worked with sexual trauma for years and years and years use these practices daily um yeah i think anything sage works and doing like a body cleanse or um I've started using some San Paolo wood that I um, bought from 100 women I know um, who also work with um, survivors and, and share survivor stories. I hope that's helpful. Um, I would definitely recommend you check out Women and Girls Network um, for resources, tips and also therapy if you need it Three free therapy in London. No, I know what you mean by sounding kind of hippie-ish. Um, I have to say, I, I'm one of the people that really struggles with yoga and meditation because I have a really hard time focusing. But um, a lot of what you said, like the, the mindfulness visualization and the body scans, um, I do find that that helped majorly with my anxiety and and moments where I felt very, very overwhelmed. And I think it means a lot for people that might not have the resources to access therapy to hear that these are some of the possible things they can do for themselves. Um, there's lots of body scans and mindfulness tutorials on YouTube. Um, it, it's something that is easily within reach. 
um, and honestly, you're doing such great work. I, I admire you a lot and I admire everything that you've been doing. Um, I guess my next question then would be if, you know, in your opinion, there, there is so much victim blaming right now. I think every time a rape case comes up, somebody is ready to blame the victim and somebody is ready to point fingers at the victim, telling that they're lying or telling that they should have known better, that they should have seen it coming. And, you know, I think this is one of the most blatant and probably most dumb examples of gender and discriminations because the all it would take is to put themselves in somebody else's shoes for a moment but there's clearly so many people that have never been um in the position of being a victim and, and have internalized so much misogyny that they can't even uh, move past that initial thought um so what does it take in your opinion to unlearn that Wow, to unlearn victim blaming, that is a big question and I think it has to, the whole of our culture in terms of sexism, uh, discrimination has to change for the victim blaming to then, you know, go with it because victim blaming is just something that sits on a wider structure of um inequality basically um i mean first of all the laws are totally outdated um there are laws that don't fit people who are gender non-conforming in fact all the laws let's, let's say um and then there's also laws that don't um actually again don't actually fit male uh survivor experiences so uh, it's in terms of the law side i'm just gonna leave that because uh, right now i can't be fixing that but i'm i'm trying to raise awareness so that people who work in law come through sort it please um but in terms of um blaming um it's a cultural shift so it's got to start with people listening and believing survivors um i am sick and tired of seeing well maybe they made it up or maybe they were after his money or maybe da, 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 da. like that kind of stuff is probably the most commonly heard victim blaming at the moment like um different famous people that um there was different uh cases against them and then everyone just jumps to protect them and i'm sick of it to be honest um and then so there's that la layer of the like or maybe she's lying thing um then going down to um being drunk or being wearing a short skirt or um it going on a tinder date there's all these different blaming techniques that like the press will use to make it less the man's fault i'm going to use quite binary terms here so apologies for anyone listening but this the majority of the blaming we see in the press is blaming the woman so that's just kind of where i'm going to free um that's why i'm going to use these terms um so yeah um the then you've got 
the next so there's the layer yeah of you know why did she go there why was she walking around alone at night um the sort of questioning the questioning why um did she what kind of underwear was she wearing and i think those things we can um unlearn them by well teaching about them in school first of all consent and all of these kind of things need to come into school learning is sex education we need to learn what consent is um, and if we all know what consent is then it's going to prevent um, assault as well because you know young people especially are going out into the real world trying trying sex and not knowing that they should be gaining someone's consent and respect I mean you know especially if they're teenagers I'm not saying it's okay but also nobody's told them they're just going off what they've seen in porn. And in porn, there is no consent scene. Like, it all happens off screen. So, especially if it's, like, rough sex or, um, you know, like, penetrative sex or gangbangs. You know, there's lots of different non-consensual things happening. Or that seem non-consensual things happening in porn and if a young person is using porn to learn then as a as a female you might learn that okay you don't you just do what they say or you just have to put it in your mouth if they put it in your mouth um and on the other hand um the boys are learning okay she does whatever i want um and she has to be quiet about it so that's very toxic um um, porn has a lot to address in terms of the um victim victim blaming and unlearning that but also like as well it's not porn's fault like it's our education system's fault that porn is where young people are going to to learn about sex i mean isn't that you know isn't that quite clear too um so ethical porn people watching ethical porn would really help as well um and then on the next layer is internal victim blaming. So if we understand, learn and understand about consent um, and really hear, okay, I believe you and it was not your fault, that is the best start to unlearning your own internal victim blaming. Um, I have experienced quite a few different accounts of sexual assault myself and it has only... Pfft, wow it's only been in like the past year that I kind of realized it was sexual assault even though I knew I wasn't ready to accept because I always wanted to be strong I always wanted to be in control of my body and have that um, empowerment so for me I wasn't ready to accept that you know maybe someone had taken that away from me so I think victim blaming sits on a massive structural thing um and any of those things i mentioned you know talk about them if you have any con- any place in schools then you know we need to talk about this with young people talking about consent will not lead to anything bad at all and um you can teach even primary schools in some primary schools now they're doing consent workshops um you know consent to play with your hair consent to use my pencil you know you can really learn consent so young um yeah boy i have so many things to say about this that i'll probably just end up repeating all that you said but also i think we could probably be here for three days um so i'm just gonna try and be quick 
but yes to everything you said and I forgot to say earlier but um, you mentioned 100 women I know and if anybody listening is not familiar with them 100 women I know is a great organization speaking up about rape culture and consent and turning the microphone towards the victim Mm -hmm. and going back to what you Annie were saying um, uh, I do agree with everything I I just want to we talked about this in the past but I just want to recommend um, for the people that do enjoy watching porn, um, finding resources, finding filmmakers that shoot porn ethically and that include the notion of consent in it as well, um, maybe by inserting a disclaimer at the start or even by actually putting it in, in the plot of the films. Uh, they might not be completely free to access, but you can usually get like other one or two movies for free. And, and I think, you know, when you're trying to unlearn the culture that we're living in, you need to look outside of the mainstream resources that you've got. So it takes an effort. It takes um, a bit of annoyance, but you do need to make that effort if you really want to unlearn what we've been taught. And uh, moving on to the last question, I think staying in touch with the idea of like moving out of mainstream and moving out of um, the main voices and, and sort of going to find what else is there and who else is speaking up about these things. And what's been your experience with the, you know, self-love movement, the body acceptance movement? Do you reckon that it is really actually inclusive of intersectionality? Because there's so many aspects, whether that's ethnicity or or really specific things like period poverty that um, are actually kind of pushed aside and maybe for 100 posts about cellulite, you maybe find one that is dealing with period poverty or access to um, pads or access to uh, menstrual cups. Um, so what what's sort of been your experience with that in, in navigating this huge movement? I think it's important yeah to amplify different that different voices um because the body acceptance movement the loudest voices as kind of happens generally in society the loudest voices are the ones with the most privilege body positive movement was actually started by um fat black femmes um who were pushed out of the body acceptance movement um, by uh, white, able-bodied, cis, slim women. Um, and they created their own movement. And then what's happened is that same group of women, white, cis, slim-bodied, able women, like, took her, started, like, taking back over the body-positive movement that was not made for them. Um, so if you are someone who uses body-positive as a hashtag or as a phrase i would suggest that you go and do your research about it see see if it's really for you um doesn't mean you can't engage in the community but it but it's just about whether like your body acceptance is that body positivity or is it just body love or body acceptance or body image or self-love so those are the phrases i use because i used to use body positive and then i actually learned okay actually that that isn't I, that isn't a community that's ma- made for me as I have a lot of privilege with my body I'll use these other terms instead there's a lot of diversity within the movement but those voices are not heard so the content is there the voices are there 
but people aren't really listening because they're not as loud um, as the voices with privilege or the, of the platform or the aesthetic to get that attention. So uh, everyone listening to this, you have a platform and you can use that platform to share other people's stories. And I think that's a really powerful way to use a platform like Instagram, um, which is the platform I mainly use. But yeah, um, following diverse uh, bodies and people on your uh, page is actually really empowering. Um, it's built it's built up my confidence to seeing loads of people that look nothing like me um, living their best life and wearing whatever they want. Um, I don't actually follow anyone that really looks like me. Um, so I would suggest unfollowing anyone that makes you feel bad about yourself or muting them if they're a personal friend and following some new accounts um, um, if you go into any of my highlights there's so many um, creatives and influencers and people talking about their bodies that you can follow so I would definitely say check that out um, if you're not sure where to start um, but yeah thank you so much for having me on the podcast um and i'm excited to hear everyone else's um stories too and um you're talking about some really important topics so yeah thank you so much and um thanks to everyone that's listening and yeah bye annie thank you honestly it's been my pleasure to have you on the podcast and um, I do hope that everybody that was listening was doing so in a safe space with, with a mindset that was ready for some of the tougher things we talked about. I think this is probably the most triggering um, episodes that we've had so far. Uh, but I think all we talked about is stuff that needs to be talked about that we need to have more awareness of. So thank you, Annie, for sharing your expertise with us. Um, you are really doing an incredible uh, job. And I would encourage everybody that was listening and that enjoyed this to go follow Annie on Instagram. You can also follow many of the platforms that she talked about, like 100 Women I Know and the charity that she works for. Um, and also, I want to just take a second to say that Annie, when I first got in touch, recommended approaching Naomi on Instagram, who's another um, influencer for body positivity and anti-diet culture and body love and Naomi is absolutely fantastic she was meant to be in next week's episode but unfortunately she can no, lo- she can no longer make it but I do want to take a second to thank her anyway for her, her interest in the podcast and um, maybe she'll come on later on depending on you know how everything aligns but uh, I do want to encourage you to go follow Naomi as well because she's great and um, and yeah I think that's that's all we've got for today thank you so much everybody for listening take care Hug your loved ones and I'll speak to you next Monday. Bye-bye.